Hello Hyrule! Welcome to episode 16 of Hello Hyrule, the premiere Legend of Zelda Travelogue podcast. We are your tour guides. My name is Pete. My name is Chris. I So, I made a sweet 15 joke last episode, which didn't make sense, <laughs> but like I just got excited to make the joke, and now it's the 16th episode, and I can't make the joke again. You know, I wanted to say something last time, but I didn't want to make you feel bad about it, Chris. I don't know. Yeah. And I had all the time in the world to think of something else to say during the start of this episode, <laughs> and of course I, I haven't, so... <laughs> anyway, so I have a quick recap of last episode, if you're ready for it. Okay. Last week, we proved that no tree is in fact too great for our journeying lumberjack as we scale to the top of the great tree and met a kikwi with a deviated septum. Uh, who told us <laughs> what? Who told us where to find the first flame to forge our sword with? We put on our swim trunks dived into Lake Floria and found ourselves in the domain of the Perella, servants of the water dragon Farron, who found herself critically injured after a battle with Girahim. We bottled up some sacred water and healed Farron, who aided us by opening up the path to the sacred flame through the ancient cistern, our next dungeon. Yeah! I love this one. I love the ancient cistern so much. Yeah, this is a very good dungeon. You know, I think the dungeons in this this second go-around of the map, I think, are all pretty strong. Yeah, I think so. It's probably the strongest of the three, I think, of all the, the visits. It's Yeah, this has a great kind of uh, weapon that you get here, and some of the puzzles are, are good. It's pretty simple, but like simple in a good way. Like It's kind of just fun to explore around, and it's got a nice aesthetic. Uh, before we go, there are some goddess cubes we got in the Farron Woods. <laughs> I think you get like two heart pieces out of those, so if you want to go back to Skyloft... You know, those are waiting for you. I'm sure at this point, like if you're playing this game, like I, I don't know if they're going to need our help on that. No, I know. I, you know what? It's a thing I started doing in an earlier episode, and now I'm scared to ever stop. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do want to say, though, if you're going into the ancient cistern, you should bring the um, sacred shield. Like I mentioned it in a previous episode. It's a great shield oh, on yeah. its own. But it's got some unique uh, abilities in this specific dungeon that I'm excited to talk about in a yep. minute. You know, it's funny. I was looking up on my own notes on this, and it, when that came up, I was like, oh, that's why Chris mentioned that shield in here. I wasn't even aware of it. Oh, no. I mean, I just mentioned the shield because I liked it. I didn't oh. realize its special <laughs> purpose until I was doing research for this episode. I was trying to pay you a compliment. I, I should have just taken it. Somehow I got through this dungeon twice without actually properly utilizing it. But That's amazing. I mean, yeah, it's it's a cool little thing. So anyway, Faror clears up the waterfall in front of us, and then there's that sort of large fish exterior to the ancient cistern. We're going to enter through this fish's mouth, go down the stairs, and I, I'm not sure if it's just me, but it does seem like they're consciously making Link like gradually seem more confident as he enters each dungeon oh absolutely that that's definitely the aim they were going for there okay awesome yeah because like i know by the last one it's a very conscious thing i just wasn't sure if it was gradual definitely seems like it a little bit here so yeah we descend into the ancient cistern Thank you. 
I think we've been starting off most of these by talking about the enemies or the wildlife variety, I guess, that we find in each of these. We do usually jump straight into that, yeah. Should we start there for for the ancient cistern? I mean, okay, so the first thing you're going to see, apart from the gigantic statue in the middle of this giant room, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, is going to have some pretty uh, clear religious connotations, I'm pretty sure, if you're, you know, if you're aware enough of these things. Mm -hmm. But the first things apart from that, you're going to find a lot of like lily pads, a lot of grasses and stuff like that. Like it's a pretty lush place in here. Which is going to explain later, you're going to run into also some, like, Dekubabas. Usually, if there's greenery, you're going to run into Dekubabas around here. Also, Walchulas. Yeah, exactly. The two kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from that, though, uh, the first thing that I noticed that's alive in here is these bright red and yellow birds that are flying around in the distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I immediately locked in on these things when I walked in. Yeah, these are cool. These are a new enemy for this dungeon called the Phoenix which I'm guessing is just a mix of Furnace and Phoenix. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Another, like, peak Pokemon name. Yeah, and this... And speaking of Pokemon, I mean, this looks like it could be in early concept sketch of Moltres. It's like a firebird, it's got four wings, and it's got an extra long tail that it furls up. Yeah, you know what? Looking at it now, it it does kind of look like someone bred a Moltres with a Fero. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. It's a very ugly Moltres is what you're looking at. But it's kind of cool. And and yeah, like these are, I guess this isn't the first flying enemy, but like when we first see this guy, it is way above us. So I mm-hmm. guess that kind of speaks to the verticality of Ancient Cistern, which I think is a little bit higher up in scale than anything we've really seen in the past with the dungeons. You mean because of like the high ceiling or because the cistern works like a tower? A little bit of both. So I think we've seen high ceilings before. One parallel, I think, uh, would be Skyview Temple, especially like the room with what we called a hookah in the in the center of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This is definitely like hookah adjacent, this room. Yeah, this definitely kind of brings back those vibes. So instead of that hookah in the center of the room, you've got this almost Buddha head in the center. Again, Eastern imagery throughout this dungeon, mm-hmm. um, especially later in this dungeon. Oh, yeah, especially later. There, There's something that this temple is apparently referencing that I was not aware of until today that I find extremely interesting. I think I found that same thing today as well. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, so yeah, Phoenix, and then there's one other new enemy here that I think we should talk about. I think it's only one other new enemy, uh, which is the Cursed Bokoblin. Oh, we're going straight to the Cursed Bokoblin. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the enemies up front. Like, this is an enemy that we're going to see later in, in the level. This is like a second half of the dungeon enemy, but I mean, whatever. We're, we're doing it early. <laughs> so like, these are very cool. Uh, the Bokoblin are... I, the Bokoblin are like the most fun enemy, I guess, in Legend of Zelda sometimes. Like, because they yeah. have, they just even within each individual game, the fact that they allow themselves to have so much fun with the variety of Bokoblin oh, in yeah. any given game. They have costumes and personalities. Yeah. And this one is no different. This is like a half skeleton Bokoblin. Yeah. It's rotting away. It's a, it's a zombie is what it is. It's a redead. This is this game's redead. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Because it, it, I mean, it literally jumps on you and like claws at you for seconds. Like it does the redead animation. I mean, 
they are a, like they're lightweights though you know what i mean like whole they come at you in crowds and you can one bomb you get rid of a bunch Sure. A bomb is very effective, but it's one of those things where, like, the bomb, you have to wait for it, so it's not always the most convenient. It should be noted that with the sword, you need to use a fatal blow in order to take it down. So, like, you have to swipe it onto its back and then kill it with a fatal blow. You cannot kill these things with regular sword attacks. Right. I mean, a bomb will do it, but, yeah, if you're just going for the sword. a bomb will do it. You know what's funny? I'm surprised these things don't have a different name. You got Technoblins over in Laneru, right? Mm-hmm. Why are these called like Bozoblins or something? Bozoblins? Yeah, Bozoblins or Zocoblins. Ooh, that's good. Spookoblins. Spook- I'll take that. I'll take Spookoblins. Let us know if you're listening. What is a good <laughs> name for a haunted Bacoblin? Do you have a better one? I definitely want to hear some suggestions there. Because, yeah, I agree with you. Cursed Bacoblin is kind of low effort. But it, it also raises some questions here. Okay. Because these are cursed. Like, it's not saying, like, oh, they've been brought back from the dead. They are cursed. And, like, according to Fi, they reanimate purely through hatred. Yes. They hate the world and everything. But also, Fi does mention that they also come back to life for their, like, love of underpants or something. Attachment to outlandish underpants. So, I don't know if you have a picture of this guy up, but it's wearing yellow leopard underwear underneath its, like, uh, skirt, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. So like these are these are purple bacoblin with one yellow eye, a rotted skeleton arm, flies all over them, blue tongue hanging out, a skeleton leg, and like these weird yellow patterned underpants. So what this tells me is that this batch of zombie bacoblins, bazoblins if you will, came from a specific generation of bacoblins where they all because as we learned from technoblins bacoblins are very into fashion so whatever whenever these terrible underpants were in vogue at the time that's when they all got wiped out maybe or what it could be telling you is that these cursed bacoblins spookoblins if you may (laughs) have some sort of burial ritual that when they pass on in into the afterlife they are buried with like certain garments <laughs> and uh, part of that attire is leopard uh underwear Fu- funerary underpants okay i can yes. i oh is boy funerary a word i don't know but I, it i mean this is kind of beyond the pale as far as this ga- this is like the, supposed to be the start of the franchise in the timeline and whatnot and we're getting all of this bacoblin underpants lore for some reason what are what are the bacoblins in breath of the wild or like uh ocarina of time if they're in that one like what 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 are they sporting do we have like have any insight on bacoblin underpants across time or is the only come in this one yeah we're gonna do a hard pivot in season two of our life um from being the podcast that talks about eating everything to the podcast that talks about everything's underwear <laughs> Uh, really quick, before we move on to the dungeon itself too much more, uh, we didn't talk about what Fi says about the Phoenix. Uh, she says, this spirit bird is said to survive by eating flames. Like, whoa. Yeah, I the, mean. The, the other thing, the other thing just wore funny underwear. This thing survives by eating flames. It's metal as heck. I do like Phoenix a lot. I think they're very interesting as far as like the lore of the world and stuff. Obviously, they don't survive past this game, mm-hmm. but 
I do like find very interesting that there used to be like Phoenix like creatures in the world. Actually, I when I first was playing this, I had notes. I have notes written down from my playthrough that they seem kind of like, you know, I know I called it like an, an <laughs> I called it an ugly Pokemon, but like uh, it's still a fairly pretty bird. And I felt kind of bad because to kill it, you have to whip it, like yank it down by its tail mm-hmm. and, you know, slash it on the ground and whatnot. I actually felt kind of bad. I felt kind of bad killing these things. But then when I killed one, it did like the purple skull smoke thing when you kill something. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so maybe it's evil. I don't know. It's. I mean, it's definitely evil-ish. Uh, let's see. What if it's like possessed by something? Like it's been, you know, corrupted. Oh, right. So there's a concept of malice in this game, right? Like not to get ahead of ourselves, but there is some sort of cursed something in the boss of this very dungeon isn't there i mean cursed bokoblins come back to life because of their hatred of the world that sounds like malice to me so is it just hatred malice and hatred are the same word (laughs) sure right but malice as a actual thing not just a word oh like not just a feeling like oh is malice present here like actual breath of the wild red malice that's what i'm thinking yes I'm not sure. I guess this is not different. So, so yeah, I think I was just getting confused with Breath of the Wild a little bit because I, I was thinking the the cursed stuff that we see in the boss of this dungeon might be related to that. Uh, I will say we can get to that in like towards the end of the episode, but I will say now I do think you have a point there. The two could be connected, but you know because of how far in the past this is, it's probably pretty diluted compared to that while we're speaking of breath of the wild really quick i can see Phoenix is turning back up in breath of the wild too (gasps) just because we know that there is some focus on sky environments that would be great like oh ooh, like if you if you listened to our bonus episode talking about breath of the wild too i made a uh prediction that loft wings are going to return and you can ride them like mounts and stuff what if they also did that for furnaces oh or like what if bokoblins rode furnaces like what if there was an <laughs> enemy type that battled you in the sky riding furnaces god that would be pretty cool that would be okay anyway let's get back down to earth and talk about this dungeon were there any rooms that stood out to you i guess let's start let's start in the big main room right we spent 50 yeah. percent of our time in here you mentioned it before there's a statue smack in the center yeah uh, i in my notes and in my head i kind of just refer to it as a buddha statue although i don't know that much about buddhism to, to say one way or the other i would say it's inspired it's, inspired. it's certainly not buddha but it, it no yeah that. Uh, it's definitely they wouldn't just straight up put an earth religious figure in there i get that but like who is this supposed to be is my question that's a great question yeah it might be someone we meet later in this dungeon because it certainly looks very similar oh that's a good point something funny about this face you see it looks like it has like a funny little goatee like a soul patch does it yeah so like it's just it's just a room so the thing about the face is it's gonna move throughout your time in the dungeon and like as you move this head around you actually get an opportunity to enter it through the chin but like when you first enter the dungeon it just looks really goofy it looks like this thing has a really obnoxious (laughs) 90s goatee 
But yeah, this it's like kind of an over-flooded dungeon to some extent. There's like a, a large pond throughout most of this dungeon with a bunch of lily pads, which are kind of new to this area. Yeah, uh, this is one of the only places in the game where you get lily pads. And a lot of the mechanic of these, because uh, you get a little bit of them back uh, before Pirello's Domain. Mm-hmm. Which, when you jump onto them from a high enough height, uh, it actually flips them over. Uh, although the underside of lily pads in this game have like very spiky roots and whatnot, that if you touch the underside, they will hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's like 50% of the puzzles throughout this area are related to that sort of concept of lily pads blocking passageways, and you need to flip them over. Yeah, it's lily pad jumping and pulling levers and turning dials. That's that's a lot of this dungeon. That is a lot of this dungeon. Yeah. So do you remember this first puzzle uh, when you enter where there's like a stone tablet and it tells you it essentially this is not one of my favorite puzzles in this game, (laughs) but it, it basically says, hey, look behind the head, look underneath the right hand, look underneath the left hand and then look to the side of the statue. Uh huh. And then like you look in those areas in that order and you'll see like a painting with like one of the four cardinal directions is like highlighted in blue. Right. And then there's like a Simon Says door that you have to hit in order, right? Exactly. So I actually don't mind the Simon Says door part of it. I, I kind of like it. It works. And like this is a motion control game. So that, that all makes sense. I just the one thing that I can't get over is having the stone tablet that says go here, then go here, <laughs> then go here, then go here. Yeah, I'm glad you point that out because I... <sighs> Like, I understand there's a lot of, um, especially around the time of this game's release, there's kind of a big precedent for Zelda games holding your hand unnecessarily, especially this far into the game. We're, we're not at the beginning anymore. Yeah. So, like, I have to wonder, the only thing that leaves for me, someone who's been playing the game, you know, straight through the whole time, is to wonder, who is this for exactly? Yeah, I agree. It's without that tablet there. It's really like you could find these four symbols, but then yeah, you would have to hit them in every combination, right? So just you would know the order. It's a shame that they're like I don't know how to solve this problem, so <laughs> I'm like I'm not I'm not trying to armchair develop this. Sure, but it just seems like if they had just touched that one thing up, I think this would be a solid like perfect dungeon. Like that's just my one criticism. I mean, I can think of maybe one thing that would make it feel a little more immersive is if the tablet that you read doesn't come off as direct instructions and it's more like uh, maybe like poetry. That is a great point. I think that's exactly it. Make it a story uh-huh. and then have the story have these clear steps and then have each of these symbols in this room correlate to one of those steps, one of those parts of the story in a, in that sequential order. I think that's exactly it. It, it would add some color to the dungeon. Which, not that it needs it. It's a very colorful dungeon. Mm-hmm. But uh, it would definitely spice up this particular puzzle. I think that 100% would have fixed my minor gripe with it. But I mean, <laughs> overall, again, it's like not that big of a deal. Like it, yeah. it works. It's functional enough. What's also functional, though, uh, is the statue itself, which as soon as you go in, you're going to see under the water, this statue has in its hand a silver rupee that is just there tantalizing. One in each hand. One in each hand. Thank you. And if you go for them, the hand will just grip on you. Mm-hmm. 
It's actually, this is actually, I think, very cool design because what you're supposed to, so the, the rupee draws your attention there. And then what you're supposed to do is, is that Majora's Mask uh, spin dive through yes. it, which will give you enough speed to get through it. And then when you do that, the hand closes and it just misses you and you see the pattern at the bottom of the hand for the puzzle. Yes, exactly. See, the, like that half of the puzzle, I think, works exceptionally well. I think it's just, again, that one tablet that needs to be fixed. Sorry, I don't mean to be like... <laughs> I just, no, I, like, no. I like every other part of it so much. Well, I mean, in the way that it is currently, the image that it puts in my head is that Hylia, when this, you know, whole place was being put together for you, the hero, to be tested, uh, someone's like, here, Hylia, I, ha I made this uh, door puzzle. Check it out. And Hylia's like, this is way too obtuse, man. Like, help this guy out. You know what I mean? Like, made the same complaints that you did. Yeah. I hope that that contractor that she got right before the war to... Uh, get someone to design a clear path for the hero of time. I hope that he got paid a pretty penny because <laughs> they built some complex puzzles. Can you imagine if it was all just one guy? Oh yeah, I guess it makes sense to hire six to eight people. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're if this is if it's crunch time, then you probably don't want to just outsource one guy. Yeah, and that explains why some of them seem more complex. Like that last dungeon, woofa loofa. Yeah, as opposed to like uh, Skyview which is nice, but simple. Anyway, we need to keep moving. <laughs> okay, so I uh, do have one question, which is connected to a lot of the different uh, areas of this dungeon. Mm -hmm. And the question is, what is the ancient cistern for originally? Because a cistern is a place that is used to store water, which I assume, you know, for the purposes of drinking. That's my assumption based on history. But there's so much like religious overtones here in this temple that it makes me wonder like, is this place built for Farron? Is this place built for Faror? There's there's a lot going on here, and I like the temple a lot, which makes me want to have more answers for these things. It's interesting that the sacred water is not in the ancient cistern, considering what a cistern is. I actually didn't know what a cistern was until just now when you said that, and I just looked it up also. I'm glad you say that. I'm glad you say that, because one note that I have is wondering, thank you, thank you, Past Pete, for having this note, is what if this place was originally, you know, the storage for Faror? sacred water okay but then why is it no longer because demise slash girahim moved it to skyview no no <laughs> oh well the skyview is like an alternate source uh the the cistern itself has been corrupted as you can see from all the cursed nonsense in the oh, basement oh, oh so it like flooded out yeah i mean do you see what the water looks like downstairs I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, let's talk. We'll we'll get to downstairs. But yeah, that's actually a, a pretty interesting theory. Yeah. And also the interior of this place, a lot of the rooms are based around opening and closing different valves, changing the routes of the water around this place. I assume that, it's, you know, keep the water moving so that it's not stagnant. That's a great point. Yeah. All of those are, are really good points. This also seems like a, a holy place, right? Like, is there any of that association with cisterns typically? Not as far as I'm aware. I think uh, no. they in, in Earth history, at least, cisterns served more of a, uh, you know, it does what it says on the tin, Chris. But that, but, but that probably correlates more to Farron's presence here. I guess could be. She seems to know the place. 
Yeah, I like that. That's very smart. And I would have glossed completely over that because I didn't even know what a cistern was. So. Now, moving on from the valves and whatnot, a lot of the times you're going to move a valve that is going to spray water upwards from a from an upward pointing spout. And the water is going to push up so hard that at the apex, it makes a platform for you to stand on. Yeah, like comfortably. Yeah, which is, you know, a, a huge trope in video games. I get that. But... <laughs> It's also like a huge waste of water, isn't it? Like to to make water elevators and whatnot in this place. I mean, it's probably circulating water from the lake, right? It's probably just all going in circles. Okay, so that like that the force of it serves a purpose itself to like that way it's, you know, spreading further. I don't know. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you're talking about specifically how some pipes start bursting water into a room, bursting <laughs> it straight up into the air so hard that you can walk on it. But it's not like those rooms then flood. Like that water just disappears at a, at a certain well, point. Well, right, exactly. Like it it's pooling somewhere and then gathering in other little drains and it's constantly moving so i hate to take us out of fantasy world for a quick detour here but you cannot bring up the concept of pooling water it's something that happens when you become a homeowner oh, anytime no. you hear pooling water you just get overwhelmed with stress and anxiety yeah yeah you're having nom <laughs> flashback from this i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> but um see when i played through this i didn't feel like the um sprouting water from the pipes was intentional like that felt like link pulling some valves and manipulating the pressure in unintended ways <laughs> oh so you broke it because you don't turn it off right i don't think you can turn any of those off i think some of them you can because like there's certain puzzles that require you to use both you know options Okay, maybe it's not you bursting through and screwing up the pipework of this whole <laughs> sacred place. We're lingering a lot on the pipe thing, and I apologize for that, but I just want to make clear, like, I'm focusing so heavily on this because I love this dungeon so much, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I hear you. That, that was me lingering on the first puzzle as well. It's because I love it. It's because I want it to be as good as it can be. I, I have a feeling that when we go to the big, uh, inside the great Deku tree in Ocarina of Time, for example, I'm not going to have nearly as many questions. I might. <laughs> But um, anyway, so yeah, there's a room here where I think it's the first room you discover the secret of the lily pads where like it's the second room you go into. It's the one with the actual Simon puzzle where it just throws you off of the ledge. Like the only way forward is to jump off the ledge and there's just a pond filled with lily pads. Right. And and Link like as he falls into the water, like trips over a lily pad, like this awkward stumbling <laughs> animation and like the camera pans on it for like a second too long. It's, it's kind of funny, but yeah, this is where you see like, Oh, okay. Underneath these things are these like very spiky. Yeah. Undersides. Roots. Roots. Yeah. Like they're a, a far cry from other lily pads you get in the series. Mm -hmm. And we get our first taste of Skulltulas, I think, in one of these early rooms, which we're going to see to a greater extent a little bit later. Oh, don't say first taste. I don't want to think about it. Uh, <laughs> there is another, I think in the next room, there's a, a puzzle where there's like a little hole behind a lily pad. Uh-huh. And like that's kind of where you put together, oh, okay, I need to find a way to get back there. So you kind of use the knowledge from before of, okay, if I fall on the lily pad, it'll flip over. Right. Make the bad stuff on the top and then the good stuff on the bottom. And then you can just swim right under it. 
Right, which uh, right away at the start, you can only flip them to where the bad side is up. Later on in the dungeon, though, you do get the ability to flip them over again. Yeah, and uh, we're about to talk about that part of the dungeon because essentially there's really only two or three rooms before you get a small key. And then you head back to the center of the main room, that statue head, and we fight our one mini boss, the Stallmaster. Is the stall ma- wait, do you see the stall master that early in the dungeon? Yeah, it's like three rooms. It's like three or four rooms, I think. Get out of here. I don't remember it being like that. A lot of the mini bosses are fairly are like playing through this game a second time, I felt quite often like, wow, the mini boss is early in this. Like here, Elden Volcano, like there are a few. Huh. And the reason why they do that is because the mini boss is what unlocks the item, the weapon, the oh, whatever. Oh, that's true. Good point. And the dungeon itself wants to be comprised of puzzles using that item. Yeah, I, I suppose if you got the item of the dungeon like towards the end, towards the boss, that wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't be nearly as interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about the stallmaster for a minute. Stallmaster is the next in line for this continuing trend of me swearing that this is a boss that's been in a ton of Legend of Zelda games, only to realize this has been in this and Hyrule Warriors. This is directly due to the fact that I haven't played a bunch of 3D Zelda games before we started this journey, right? but I did play a fair amount of Hyrule Warriors. So I feel (laughs) like I saw a lot of stuff in Hyrule Warriors and I was like, oh, these are all staples of the Legend of Zelda. And in reality, it was like, no, Skyward Sword came out like two or three years before Hyrule Warriors. So they just used a lot of that stuff. I can't think of any other example where like someone has played a spinoff before the original and then like... (laughs) I mean, for what it's worth, I played like Ocarina and Majora's Mask. I just missed the 3D games in between Majora's Mask and Breath of the Wild to a large extent. Oh, you know what? That actually, you just reminded me. But since Majora's Mask was my first Zelda game, going back and playing Ocarina of Time was pretty jarring. Oh, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. There's no timer? What's going on? Like (laughs) This game is not inherently stressful throughout the whole existence of it? What's the point of that? Explains a lot about me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, Stallmaster. Stallmaster is a Stallfos with better armor and two more arms. Well, a- according to Fi, a Stallmaster is a quote-unquote elite captain of the undead soldiers. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never seen any sort of captaining going on here. No, no leadership skills to be seen on Stallmaster. Well, because your one encounter is it one-on-one trying to kill you. So is your suggestion that Stallmasters are in the background barking orders and then like whenever we fight it, the Stallmaster just got done saying like, I'll do it myself. Yeah, that actually could work. But yeah, I think it would be cool if this thing was like some sort of necromancer, like summoning cursed bacoblins up and commanding them to attack you. That would be pretty cool. I didn't think about that until you, you mentioned what Fi says. Yeah. Um, Another thing Fi says, when provoked, it has the ability to strike with all four of its sword-wielding arms. Very little swords. Very little, but like... I'm looking at a picture of it. It has like maybe one sword. It's got two axes and like 
this one thing that might be a sword, but kind of looks like a long pizza cutter. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at that same picture. It's weird. One of the swords also just looks like a club. So the one thing I, I will say I like about this design is they could have used the same sword four times. And I think it's actually more interesting that they did oh for sure it, it's kind of like uh you know like an undead skeleton man picking up whatever was nearby yeah for sure and there is another enemy that has multiple arms that we'll talk about in a little bit oh and yeah that enemy i love with my whole heart but that enemy has more arms and they were just like no 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 we're just giving it the same <laughs> thing in all the arms we can't well, do this again when we get to that i'll make an argument when we get to that okay fair enough uh, so this is, yeah, like I said, a more powerful version of Stalfos. It holds three swords and an axe or two swords and a club and an axe. I don't know. Uh, initially, it only attacks with two swords while keeping two arms crossed in front of its chest. Uh, when you oh. it off a bit, oh. uh, <laughs> when, when you anger it a bit, it pulls its other two weapons out. And it does that thing that every enemy in this game does where it blocks three quarters of itself uh -huh. and leaves one full quarter completely exposed <laughs> yeah could you imagine like you're defending against like a school bully or something and you just defend your left side clearly leaving <laughs> your right side exposed what are you gonna do huh you can't do anything to me yeah i like the hubris part of that like the taunting while doing something that silly is kind of the best part. I wish that when we got to the thing at the end of the game that is commanding all of these things, there was some hint that that thing was the one teaching this bad habit to all of its underlings. <laughs> That's a very good point. It's all this dude's fault. Like that. Yeah. Anyway, so you can disarm it by a well-timed shield bash, which I'm sure you wouldn't know because you're so against <laughs> shield bashing. You should play hero mode. It'll force you to shield bash. You'll see the light. That's a good point. You know what? Maybe. Uh, you can also lure it into a bomb blast, which like you seem to love bomb blasts, which <laughs> I don't know why. Those are what? so hard. They're not hard to execute. I just hate being patient and waiting for the bomb. to. Why blow be tactical when you can just blow stuff up, Chris? Because you can't just blow stuff up. You have to keep them by the thing for like 10 seconds. Well, you just hold on to it. Hold on to it. Like hold the fuse. I guess. I cook the grenade. <laughs> yeah. So you chip away at the armor of this thing, the Stallmaster, and it exposes like a third eye on its head, at which point it gets very frustrated with you and just becomes hyper aggressive. If you miss a single swing at this point, it like parries you and uh, just like yeah. does some big damage. It's going to punish you for that. Mm -hmm. When you kill it, this is kind of a fun thing I just noticed. When you kill it, it breaks in half, like top half, bottom half, and the bottom half of it continues walking around mm -hmm. while the top half of it's laying on the ground, and the bottom half of it trips on its head and just, like, falls. <laughs> it's a solid skeleton bit. I dig those. Yeah, yeah. It's just a little bit of physical comedy that uh, you don't get too much of in this game, but when you get it, it's good stuff. Anyway, do you have anything else about Stallmaster? Nothing about him in particular. He's not extremely interesting. It it's kind of a nothing note. To be honest, like as far as this temple goes, he's probably like low on the rungs of the cool stuff in this dungeon. But you know what is a little bit higher than him is the item that we get. Only slightly, Chris. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we, we, we get past him. We open the treasure chest. And what do we find in it? Uh, we find a whip. 
<laughs> oh, come on. It's not that bad. <laughs> we find... Okay, okay. We find a magic whip. Uh, there's nothing to indicate that there's magic behind this whip. <laughs> I disagree highly. Uh, so the name of it is just a whip, okay? And it looks kind of cool. Like, it's very colorful. And at the tip of the... Uh, well, what do you call the whip part of a whip? Well, at the tip of the whip, uh, <laughs> there is a uh, a glowing, like, bubble of magic. Ah, oh, tip of the whip. A tip of the whip to you. Tip of the whip. <laughs> and when you... And the reason that this is here is so that when you whip it at stuff, which you would expect from Indiana Jones and stuff like that, that when you whip something like a lever, it would wrap around and that's how you're able to pull it, which is what you do with this whip. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think they figured out how they would animate that. So they just put like a magic grippy bubble at the end of the whip. It looks like a bullseye, the magic whippy bubble, right? It looks like yeah. a little target. It's got a little like a little magic bean at the end. It has like a little uh, aura around it. And that is what latches on to stuff. It doesn't work like an ordinary whip like you would expect where it wraps around something. Yeah. It's got a little bubble. You're hitting stuff with a little bubble. It 100% looks like those hands that we would get out of vending machines as kids. Oh, a slappy hand. It, a slappy hand. Yeah, like it would be those colors. And then you slap it against the wall and then you get it stuck on the ceiling for seven years. And Now that you say that, it does. the whip part of the whip does kind of have like candy colors, doesn't it? A hundred percent. That's like what I thought about every time I saw that icon. This item is so weird to me. Like it does have some limited use in battle. And as far as puzzle use, you largely only use it in this dungeon. Uh, there are some later dungeons where you use it a bit. A bit, a bit, but like it, it's mostly what you find around here. There, there are going to be some dungeons where you use it to get past um, gates. Like there's a, a switch on the other side of a gate, you whippy it. Or there's a switch that's too high, you whippy it. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. You whip me. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're doing that in this dungeon too. Like in the lower right. levels of the dungeon, there's going to be spots where you're whipping through bars one time, which I do think is actually pretty cool where, uh, you use the whip through some iron bars to grab a key from the belt of an enemy that's, uh, marching around. And that's some James Bond stuff. And I dig that a lot. So that is my criticism with the whip as well. Like they clearly acknowledge this really cool idea that they had for the whip. Like when you see that enemy, you're like stuck behind a gate. You can't get through. There's nothing around you. But the enemy has like something sparkling on its belt. Mm -hmm. And then you whip through it and you grab that key. Right. It's like they wanted to show you that. And then they just don't use that idea. Yeah. Again. More of that. More of that would have been like if you could do that to certain enemies and you get rupees. Mm hmm. Or like like you're stealing from their wallet or something like that would be cool. I think there might be some enemies that you can steal like a horn from. I, do, I think that might be it. There are specific bacoblins that call for other bacoblins with a hunting horn. Ooh. And you can use the whip to steal that hunting horn before they call other bacoblins. All right. That is pretty useful. You got to be able to identify them first, though. Kind of, but not really, because that's like, again, like you just said, you have to identify them. And bacoblins aren't that much of a threat. Just attack the bacoblins at that point. That's another good point, yeah. Like, if, if like, the shield bacoblins, those bigger lads... Oh, uh, moblins. Right, moblins, sorry. If you could use that to, like, disrupt their shield or something, that would be cool. It just feels underutilized a little bit. Yeah, which is a shame, because, like, a whip has the potential to be a very cool Zelda item. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's also in Spirit Tracks, I think. 
That's, ooh, I wonder about that. Like, I wonder what the implications of a Skyward Sword item surviving all the way to Spirit Tracks. I've never played that one. Well, we'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> it's also, and this happens with a few items, where there's another item you'll get a little bit later on, and it feels like this does 50% of a thing, and the other item does 50% of a thing, and you kind of wish that either one of them just did both things. Yeah. You mean kind of like the Beyblade from Twilight Princess? I mean, I don't know, because I didn't finish Twilight Princess, but probably. Oh, well, that that should be weirdly cryptic for you. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just like this and the grappling hook that we're going to get. I kind of feel like they are similar, but not. And I wish one of them did both things, but they're both great. I mean, it's also kind of weird when you get to certain things in this dungeon in particular, like where you're going to use the whip to turn these big faucets. Yeah, they're turnkeys that you, you see in the ground. Right, right, right. And they set off different valves uh, throughout the place so you can change the direction of the water flow. Mm -hmm. A lot of these are not too far for you to reach. You could actually just walk out to them, grab them with your hands and turn them. You're using the same bodily force to turn the thing. I don't think you need the whip for it. I. That's a very funny point, but I do think that they're trying to convey that you need that extra oomph from the whip for these things. Are you getting extra oomph, though? I think that's the implication. I hear you. Like, none of these things look so tightly fastened in that Link shouldn't be able to do that, but for some reason he can't. Like, the other things are the switches that are too high for Link to grab. Yeah, that, that I'll grant him. I'll, I'll grant yeah. that to, to the whip, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so like you mentioned, there are a bunch of new turnkey puzzles that just kind of opened up to us from this point where we're going to be playing with water, creating like new geysers to reach the upper areas of the dungeon. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a new puzzle that opens up in the main room where we have to use the whip to flip over a lily pad that starts out upside down. Yeah. We flip it over and then you use the whip again to... You grab it by the roots and flip it over again. Right. And then you pull down a switch that's above that. So it's like kind of showing you everything you can do right off the bat. There's this one room that has like this whirlpool that's constantly going. Like talk about waste of water. This thing is constantly going. Yeah. In the spot where it's like a big inverted pyramid of water in the ground. Yeah. 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 So Link, for some reason, his intuition is, hey, I should jump in there. <laughs> and you do. And you enter the basement of the ancient cistern. You flush yourself down the toilet and you go to hell. Boy. Yeah, I mean, this this place is fully haunted. Absolutely. You, you get down here, like it goes from this golden tint in the upper area of the cistern to this darker purple tint. And you're just surrounded by sculptulas. The bacoblin that you mentioned that you grabbed the key from is down here. Right. Which again, like that is... One of the coolest <laughs> small moments in this game. And mm -hmm. they just like, I wish they did that in other Zelda games, even like, I guess they kind of play with this in Breath of the Wild, right? Do they? I think so. They drop their weapons in that game, don't they? Oh, yeah, sure. But you're not like sneaking around to like steal from people. I want like a sneak thief link one of these days. Yeah, exactly. I want like a, a thiefy moment for Link. <laughs> 
But you get down here, there's a lot more dingy dungeon parts down here before you actually do get to the, you know, the cursed, corrupted parts of uh, this basement. Mm -hmm. Once we get past that key moment, the camera kind of pans down like you have this window view of like this lower pit level where there's like a cavern. It looks like a, a weird crystal cave and there's a white chest at the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so like that's that's the boss key. We know that. So we know we have to go as deep down into the cistern as possible uh, in order to get that boss key. Right. So, like, once we see that, that's when you can start manipulating the statue going upwards and downwards. Yeah. So, I think you're able to send the statue's head all the way down. And then that's when you can enter that area and go all the way down along with it and, like, exit the door. If I recall correctly, you never see the full body of the statue. Either the head is through the ceiling of the upper portion or the feet are down below in the uh, basement portion. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like the feet or the chin that like you exit through to get to the basement. But either way, you get to that like lower basement part. And that's where we see our first glimpse of these cursed bacoblins. Ugh, I love and hate these little guys. Oh, and this is what you need the sacred shield for. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? I mean, it's not a lot to talk about. I mean, Fi kind of tips you off to it where these things are kind of scared of shiny things. Mm -hmm. I assume it's because they are down in the darkness all the time, you know. So uh, similarly, since this game doesn't have like a mirror shield or anything equivalent to that where you'd reflect light. Instead, it's just, you know, something shiny. And when you use it, it, uh, you know, makes them cower. Yeah, which I love the sacred shield and somehow I never noticed this. Like it definitely had to have happened. I just didn't think about it. I mean, for me personally, I never felt the need to defend myself against these guys. I just kind of went to oh town on them. Oh my God, the humble brag comes back every episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I just never needed to block. Listen, I never needed to block. I enjoyed blocking in this game because you get a perfect parry. It stuns the enemy. There's a layer of competence that comes with a perfect shield. I, I get it. Listen, we all have different play styles. You play Skyward Sword like a battle master and I play it like a barbarian. I get it. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, you know how to disarm me with your words. <laughs> so yeah, we, we kind of go through the these caverns down here. And like the Cursed Bacoblins, you mentioned it earlier, they don't come one by one. They come in swarms. Oh yeah, like all the time. There's also like these weird demon face alcoves down here. Do you remember these? Oh, like the, the skull cave thing? Yeah, these skull caves. Like why? I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I, I'm thinking that might be an after effect of the place being corrupted. You know what I mean? Like the, the changed shape. Yeah, it's like the Bacoblins are going through a goth phase, so they're decorating their room <laughs> accordingly. I meant I meant a little because, you know, the water has been corrupted and everything in here. So I'm assuming like similarly, that corruption is just changing. It's morphing the, the shape of the place. Into a perfect skull face? Why not? If, I mean, if you're if this is like an evil energy that makes things evil, why wouldn't it make, you know, the environment look evil? Uh, maybe. That's not too bad. I like my idea of the goth face. <laughs> <laughs> so you can, like, send your beetle into the eyes of these skull things. I, it becomes a running trend throughout this game. If you see an alcove with eyes, yeah. throw that beetle up into those eyes. And like, there's going to be a switch or worst case scenario, you'll get like a hundred rupees out of it. Yeah, it's it is almost never a bad idea. Mm -hmm. We push a little bit further and there is just this pile of bones on the ground and a rope 
going back up into the, I guess, the main floor. You can't really see it, but it's going back upwards. Oh, this is a separate room, I think. Like, because after the skull, there's these portions with these rotating columns that have vines on them. Oh, I missed all of that. You're right. And I think there's some of these in the upper portions too. Like these two areas might be connected, Mm -hmm. uh, which I don't know. Maybe if they've got flowing water in here, maybe this place doubled as like a a millery at some point, like like it milled stuff. Oh, yeah. Like a vineyard. Maybe. Could be. But they're just going on their own at this point. Mm. But you climb around them, around the vines that are on them. It's a little hectic at points. I kind of dug it. And at one point, you actually have to reverse. I forget if like where along the way where that you actually have to reverse the rotation. Yeah. So these are like these multiple stone pillars that are rotating left to right. Yeah. And you jump on the vines. And as they continue to rotate, like enemies kind of flying enemies are around. So you need to like kind of move mm-hmm. kind of swiftly. It almost feels like something out of a slightly different game. Like, I don't yeah. know. What. It almost feels like a Mario-ish thing. It's a little platformy. Yeah, which is cool. I think it works. Like, yeah. I think it totally works. Yeah, I dug that. And then down here, yeah, you get to the end and you hit a switch and it reverses them. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of go to a new area by having those go in the reverse direction. Right, 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 right. And, you know, it, there are portions where you have to keep moving. Otherwise, it's either going to drop you off a ledge or hit you into a like a, a spike wall or something. Right, right, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But after that whole family double dare challenge, you're going to get all the way to this other end of this abyss where there's going to be the piles of bones. It is a bone yard, tons of it. And uh, like Chris said, there's a rope in a shaft of light that you can climb all the way back up to the top. Mm -hmm. Bone heaven. (laughs) It's where the bones go when they die. So you start climbing, and this is another, like, the basement of the ancient cistern has two moments that I really, really like in this game, like two small moments. Mm -hmm. As you start climbing the rope upward, the bokoblins start rising from the bone pile underneath you. (gasps) And it feels like, this to some extent reminds me of a Metal Gear Solid game, because it feels like as you're climbing this rope, it it could just go on forever. Mm -hmm. It does kind of stretch. It, it that's very metal gear solid three but like you just see this swarm of cursed bacoblins gathering at the bottom and then they start climbing up the rope mm-hmm. and they climb that rope like twice at twice the speed that you do it's awesome it's so spooky i love it it is a good tense moment when you become more comfortable with this moment this becomes a great place to farm evil crystals right which we mentioned in the last episode because these are the one enemy that drop evil crystals right right the funny thing is, though, once you do manage to get uh, past this action set piece, you do make it up to the top and you are free to then go right back down. And that doesn't happen again. You can climb right back down the rope. Yeah. And they don't attack you. Yeah, that is kind of weird. So I think there's a good reason, though. So the first time you're down there, the statue itself is all the way down. So it's almost like the Bokoblins, like they're they're being pushed into that area. Then you climb the rope up and you lift the statue head all the way up. Right. And then you go back down there. And it's almost like because the statue head is no longer pushed down and cramping all of the space in the, the basement, it's almost like the Bokoblins are not so heavily concentrated in that area anymore. <laughs> So up top, it's a flow of water, and down below, it's a flow of zombies. 
Essentially, yeah. Okay. So, like I said, we hit a switch up top, we move the statue, come back down, and we get the boss key down here. Right. I just think that's so funny that after that extremely cool and intense scene, the game's just like, yeah, you can go back down. I'm like, I'm good, actually. <laughs> yeah, never again. <laughs> Burn it all down down there. And the game's like, no, 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 you have to. <laughs> Which, again, if it was like a good horror game, it could play with that feeling a little bit more, but it yeah. kind of doesn't. It's kind of just like, nah, it's fine. Just go down there. I will say I want more Zelda games to have like planned action. Pe- there are more uh, scenes like this in this game. I want more like that where, where you know, the equivalent of the big boulder chasing you. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. For sure. Isn't there a moment in here where the ceiling is coming down? Oh, oh, yeah, there is one bit where you have to fight off a bunch of zombie bacoblins while the statue's feet are coming down towards you. Yes. And it's down here in the basement. We completely missed that. Yeah. Again, the theme of Indiana Jones is strong throughout this whole dungeon because that's Temple of Doom right there. It's very like cursed Buddhist temple Indiana Jones. It's very good. Yeah, it's inspired right like that's what makes it so good is it kind of pulls from all these places and does good things with all of it now before i forget i I did mention this earlier on the episode i would be remiss to not say it here is that this portion of the game i think is supposed to be in reference to like an old buddhist tale Mm -hmm. it's an old uh short story called the spider's thread is this what you were referencing before? I did see this. Yeah. Do you want to at a high level go over it? Well, the short version is that Buddha looks down into hell, okay, and sees this dude who was a criminal, but I think it was like he chose not to step on a spider. I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in response to that, he's like, you know what? I'll lower a thread down for him. Let him climb up. And the guy starts to climb up and other people who are also down there with him start to climb up. And the dude's like, no, this is my string. Get out of here and the rope snaps right after that because he was being selfish and that's the whole that's the short version of the story exactly yes yeah i i had no familiarity with it but like as i was reading in more detail about it it did kind of like you could kind of see thematically what it might be toying with in in the dungeon itself which is very cool like i hope we learn about a lot more of those little things when researching these dungeons because i love that me too. Honestly, I, it's it's been one of the more interesting parts of doing this show. Playing through Okami, there is just a ton of that. Love so it. like if you're interested in that sort of a thing and you like this sort of gameplay, give Okami a shot because there's a lot of that in Okami. It holds up. Okami's great. It's got like a couple of criticisms, but I mean, hey, what doesn't? And like it's super solid. It's a great Zelda-like. Anyway, we have the boss key. Oh, do you have anything else before we... There is something like very brief that I did want to mention. There are parts of this where I think it's if a cursed Bokoblin hits you, you can get cursed also. I thought so, but then I didn't actually see any of that when I was doing research for this. I don't know if the Bokoblins can curse you necessarily. If they do manage to like latch onto you and bite you, that's when you get the cursed effect. Do you want to talk about what the cursed effect is in this game? Well, I mean, it's the same as in most Zelda games, because a lot of Zelda games actually have the same curse where you aren't able to unsheath your sword. And if it is, if it starts off sheathed, you put it away and then you cannot pull it out again. It's a very specific curse. Help, I'm cursed. I can't commit murder briefly. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's like you can't defend yourself. Sure. It's just an interesting curse. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Which I don't know, maybe is why these enemies are so easy to fight. 
they have the same curse and they're spreading it to you? Well, there is something about getting that curse and then temporarily not being able to attack while a swarm of these things kind of wrap around you. Oh, yeah. Again, you know, successful tense moment, at least by Zelda standards. Anyway, so we get the boss key down here and uh, the boss room itself, when the statue is extended all the way upwards, it's at the top of the statue. So we make our way up. We, you know, create a bunch of geysers in the statue and we find ourselves like in this room with a bunch of heart pieces and a save point, And it's pretty clear there's going to be something behind a door. Do you want to mention what the uh, the boss key looks like? I don't remember. What does it look like here? It is a chunk of a lotus flower. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's it looks pretty great once you, you know, plug it in. Nice. Yeah, I completely forgot for this one. But yeah, no. Um, once you get up back up top of the statue in the main room, there are these things in the statue's head that you have to use the whip to pluck out. There are more turnkeys. Yeah, at the top of the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what triggers it to raise its head back up top into the ceiling. Right. Yeah. I forgot to mention that part. Yeah. It's almost like the statue is trying to swat you after you <laughs> open these valves up at the top of its head. Honestly, this the mechanics of this place are very complicated. Um. So when we get up to this boss room, Girahim is in this room. He is sitting atop this golden statue in the center of the room. And there are these like six what look like uh, chalices surrounding the statue. I guess you could say that. It's it's not clear what they are. Girahim says he's trying to revive the Demon King and Link's irksome buzzing around him like a gadfly is making him <laughs> feel very disagreeable. This guy, like he's such a fancy lad, but he wants to be mad at us so much. He He's trying so hard not to break character. He's definitely mad. He's just, he doesn't know how to express it in an intimidating way. So he's just kind of fun. <laughs> oh, I'm just so steamed. I am feeling quite disagreeable tonight. Scrumbles my biscuits. <laughs> so <laughs> now I'm thinking about his crumbled biscuits. Ugh. <laughs> he snaps his fingers. I probably shouldn't snap my fingers behind the audio I'm recording. He snaps his fingers, <laughs> and the chalices that I mentioned a second ago rise up, and they turn out to be the arms of this statue that uh, has come to life. Oh, yeah. And we get a look at the next boss, the Ancient Automaton Kalaktos. I love Kalaktos. I love this boss. It's a very good boss, Chris. I'm glad you say that because this boss single-handedly is the boss I've thought the most about since I finished Skyward Sword the first time, I think. Yeah. Like maybe the final boss of the game a little bit, but like I think it's this one. I don't know if it's just the fun name, the fun design, the power curve, like this game lets you feel quite powerful throughout this fight. Oh yeah. It's all just real good stuff. 
And, and to say like, this thing is not like a, a pushover. It'll cream you if you don't know what you're doing. But if you do know what you're doing, it's like fun and easy in like a really satisfying way. Like yeah. it's not, it's never boring. And like you can be powerful enough and feel good being powerful enough throughout it that it keeps your attention. Like there are, there are some fights like the boss that we throw the bombs into its mouth in this game. Oh, Scaldera. That's what it was. That boss fight becomes kind of boring after you do it a few times. Fine boss, but again, when you play them over and over again, they lose their value. I feel like this guy's fun every time I've played it. And I've done the boss rush twice, and I've played through the game twice. So that's four times, and I'm still this excited about it. Well, yeah, because like it's it's big and imposing, and it looks cool. And the music, granted, it's just the Mulderac boss fight music, but it works really good here. Yeah, let's talk about the way this thing looks for a minute. Do you want to describe it? Yes, I would love to. This here, Kalaktos, is a big, well, I originally wanted to say it's like a Buddha statue, because that's kind of what we had downstairs. But looking at it again, its head doesn't really look, you know, anything like the statue downstairs. The head and the mask reminds me more of the bad guy from Shrek. Oh, because of the hair, because of the sideburns. Because of the hair and the shape of the face and everything. Yeah, it looks like the bad guy from Shrek. Okay, that's very good. You're 100% right. But it, it's like if that bad guy was a crash test dummy. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. He's a golden crash test dummy of Lord Farquaad. Absolutely. That's that's, yes. that's what it is. And for some reason, he's got like, again, not to go back to hookah again, like I, I not like a hookah smoker or anything, but it's got a hookah at the top of its head. Well, is it a hookah though? Or does it only come across that way because of like the curse smoke coming out the top? I mean, exactly that. Yeah, at the moment, it looks like a cursed hookah. That's definitely true. It's got six arms also, uh, two of which hold, what would you call those weapons? Oh, there's a word for that. I feel like I've definitely heard the word before. I wanted to say glaive, but I don't think that's right either. I don't think it's a glaive, yeah. It almost looks like if you weaponized a boomerang. A boomerang is a weapon. I guess it is. You're right. <laughs> but it's like a blade version of a boomerang. It's like you're holding two opposing guillotine blades is what, is what it kind of looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a boomerang that was built to decapitate people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a nubby version of the halo sword. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like if the energy sword from Halo was more about the width and less about the height. Yeah, it's a very sharp H is what this thing is. It's a very sharp H. There's also a phase two of this boss fight where all six hands have a scimitar, just a straight up scimitar. Yeah. At the midpoint you're talking about, right? Where it rises up out of the ground. Surprise, it has legs. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just has in all six arms a big old sword. Which, again, just an amazing moment when this thing starts walking at you and all six arms are holding a scimitar. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. But yeah, let's talk about the mechanics, I guess, bit by bit. So phase one, there are these two boomerang blades and uh, he like thrashes them down at you, accidentally gets his hand lodged into the ground. Right. And you see these red orbs in his joints, like his arms. So you want to latch the whip onto that red orb and yank it. And that's going to dislodge its whole arm. Yeah. I mean, according to five, that's what these pieces are for, is to keep it from falling apart. So you yank that out, the whole structural integrity is just foobar. Which, I mean, might say a lot, considering this is a pretty old robot here. Uh, apparently this thing was not a creation of Girahim. This thing is here to defend from people like Girahim. Which is weird to me, because... 
the ancient automaton defends the ancient cistern and eliminates intruders. But this thing, you get the impression that it is moving based on its cursed energy. And the cursed energy I directly associate with the war and with Girahim coming through here. I'm pretty sure the cursed energy was put here by Girahim, though. You know what I mean? Oh, right. So the cursed energy is what it's using to attack you. Right. Like, like he came here, fought the thing and destroyed it. And then is like, well, I don't want to fight Link right now. I'll make this guy fight him. That's fair. That's a good point. Yeah. So this thing, it's like C-3PO. <laughs> it's like CP-3000 is what this thing is. Yes, exactly. Okay, there we go. I think we've painted a pretty clear picture visually of what this thing is. This thing is really strong too. Like if it lands a hit on you, it takes a big old chunk of health. Yeah, but like it projects its moveset pretty clearly. So like you dodge out of the way easily. Sure. I mean, if you're running around looking for hearts though, and you're not going to be paying as much attention, he's going to definitely wallop you. I mean, he, there's pillars in here that when this thing is rampaging, it takes out the pillars. Yeah. Like it's that strong. That's amazing. Which is also a good thing to know because there are, for some reason, heart pieces in the pillars here. So when you're doing this boss in boss rush mode, that is critical information. Yeah, I've got my theories about heart fruit, but I cannot explain that one as part of construction. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we even should try. So yeah, phase two, this thing comes out of the ground, starts chasing you around. It'll do a melee attack, lodge itself into the ground unknowingly, and like you rip its arms off. Mm -hmm. The goal is to rip like about four of this thing's arms off so that it needs to use the two arms. It has two arms that it's protecting its chest with. Right. And you want to get it to use those arms to attack you, exposing its chest. Right. I mean, you, you have to Black Knight this thing for Monty Python. Yeah. But here's the really fun thing, is that in the second phase, when it has the big old swords, when you take an arm off, you can pick up that sword and swing it around at him. And when you do that, you can take on all the other limbs that much faster. Like, you just go to town on this dude. If you get one limb off, you can take all the other ones off with that one weapon. And this is the power curve I mentioned a second ago. Like, when you hold this thing's weapons, you just become so powerful, and it's just so much fun. And it's just a brief moment in this boss fight that happens. I think two or three times, but it is really a blast. It's got big stop hitting yourself energy. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, you when you beat this guy with its own weapons, you get this like brief cutscene of the malice seemingly overwhelming it and just kind of exploding it from the inside out. Oh yeah. Which before the thing explodes, it makes a big old ruckus and eventually it just stops for a brief second before it explodes. And like the pupils on the mask kind of like get wider and it makes like this little child like a giggle noise before it explodes. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. What is that about? I like the slight hauntedness throughout this whole dungeon is fantastic. (laughs) Like it's not an inherently very creepy dungeon, but just like the little moments are are great. Man, I love the ancient cistern. It's good stuff. So yeah, we, we beat it. The arms stay on the ground here. And like, if you come back later, you could just pick up this thing's scimitar. Really? I think that the scimitars remain on the ground here. Yeah. And you, you can't take it with you, can you? You can't leave the room with it now. Oh, so it's just to play around? It's just to play around a little bit when you're in here. You could break the pillars, get some hearts. <laughs> okay. In the next room, we have that symbol that we need to skyward strike. I forget what it's called at the moment. The goddess crest. Goddess crest. I'm glad you had that ready. 
Uh, we do a skyward strike on it, and the flames of Furore come out of it. Green flames. This is a big green flame in a brazier. And when you go into it, Phi goes inside of the fire, sits there for a second, and then like, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a good thing, a thing that jumps around. It's like a pinball. Yeah, 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 yeah. She she pinballs around the room. And after that, she zaps back into the goddess sword. And the first thought that I had, because the sword is on fire at that point, or at least, you know, extremely hot, and Link's just holding it in his human hand. Yeah, but I mean, the handle, I would imagine, is like breaking that. I mean, I'm sure there's some magic nonsense happening to protect his hand, but still, it's a very funny thing to think about. (laughs) Yeah, I I never thought about that. But it also would be cool if the sword kept its green glow until you got the next one. Like, I wish that the sword physically kept that. Oh, I wish I had done that. That'd be so cool. So Fi comes back out and she tells you it was imbued with the flames of Furore, making it longer and sharp enough to do twice as much damage. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, at this stage in the sword's development, it does take on like a slight Kingdom Heartsy vibe. How so? Just like the soft. What's the word? Oh, the soft palette. Yeah, it's like the soft palette and it looks a little plasticky. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100 percent. I could see exactly what you mean. So yeah, double damage. Double damage is always like, oh, that's an exciting thing to hear. But does that just mean you're going to throw enemies with double the health bar my way for the rest of the game? (laughs) That's a great point. But I mean, it definitely, like the cool thing is the sword definitely does extend throughout the game. And yeah, you go back to Skyloft enough times, like if you're farming for materials, you'll see that this thing is taking out early enemies quicker. And with the sword now enhanced, you are ready to learn a new melody That will kind of lead us to our next episode. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, really. Like you in this phase of the game, do dungeon, get song, do dungeon, get song. Yep. So we're going to go back to the Isle of Songs very briefly next episode, and then we will be off to the... Lanayru Sansi! The Sansi, another fantastic moment in the game. The second the second round of this game is good stuff. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Honestly, this is this is really where Skyward Sword hits its stride. It's real good. I agree. Um, so before we wrap up, Chris, we did want to address something uh in the format of the show that we're gonna be doing slightly different. Uh, for location ratings, the way we're going to be doing them going forward, one of us is going to pitch to the other how to utilize this location as a vacation stop, and the other one is going to rate the location based on that pitch. I forgot we were going to do this. Are you prepared to do that? <laughs> Not at all, but I can wing it. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> okay, so in here... I hesitate to go for the first thing that popped into my head, which is a water park. (laughs) Seems a little bit disrespectful. Oh, I I do like water parks. It does seem disrespectful, but (laughs) I'm not the person who spent the day researching this place. I am the visitor looking for a nice getaway. So water park, that sounds good. (laughs) Okay, right on. All right, I'll lean hard into water. All right, let's see. So uh, you got all the different uh, fountains and whatnot that are spray you up. If you put, I don't know if you can put enough like guardrails or anything where you can stand on all the water platforms. Okay, can I can I I like to dive into water from high places. Will I get to do any of that? 
Uh, yes, we do have plenty of locations in the primary sanctum of the park, excuse me, where it's very natural and decorative, but we do ask uh, as a disclaimer to not swim towards the hands of the statue. Uh, that uh, particular mechanic is for maintenance workers exclusively. Uh, so as long as you steer clear of that, we'll, it'll, you have, can swim around all you like. Okay, so follow-up question. I have 17 children. Oh, no. Are there, are there animals for my children to play with, to interact with? What's the wildlife situation here? Well, we have a, a aviary petting zoo in the upper quadrants of the park by the food court. Oh, okay. We have some very well-trained uh, birds that you can, your children can uh, interact with. We ask that you do not attempt to feed or pet or stand within five feet of the birds. What kind of things are there to eat in this location? Oh, I walked into this one. So we, well, yeah, we do have plenty of um, lily, lily roots, lily root salads that you could have here. It is Ooh, lily root salad. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you definitely want to let us know if you have an allergy, though, because this is a very rare plant. Okay, I like that. I am vegetarian and so are my 17 children. So that's good. <laughs> Uh, I do have one last question, and this is an important one. Okay. Is it haunted? Uh, and I need you to be honest with me. Is it haunted? Does it, this place have a haunted basement? Because that will be a little bit of a deal breaker. Okay. So here's the deal with the basement. When we purchased this location. Is it haunted? It sounds like you're trying to avoid the question. <laughs> we have a plumbing issue in the basement is there a leak of ghosts in the basement there was a a small blockage with like leopard print underwear down there it, it's hard to explain but okay, uh, i do like that that well that raises some questions on my part but there any curses that may or may not be contracted while vacationing in this location uh will be purely temporary as a matter of maybe five seconds okay Five seconds I can live with. So that sounds pretty good. So is the idea that I give it a rating? Like yeah, I'm yeah, you give it a rating. <laughs> okay, you did try your hardest. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it, I mean, it's it, like, I just love the dungeon. Like, it's hard to separate the love for the dungeon and the <laughs> poor, poor way you just sold it for the past five minutes. But you tried your hardest and you did it on a whim. I'm going to give it a four out of five. Okay. That's what I was originally going to give it. So I have a pros and cons list here. Pros, fairly serene, doesn't feel overly hostile, and you have great indoor pools. Yeah. And I do have one one con, is that it is very haunted. It is significantly haunted. That's fair. It's almost fully, I'm mean, not fully haunted, but it is built on a very haunted foundation. So Yeah, no, I think it's definitely four and up for me if I had to rate this one. Yeah, I think this is a solid four, no matter how you look at it, if not a five. All right, so I think that'll wrap this episode up. Do we want to tell people where they can reach out to us if they want to send in a postcard? Absolutely. If you want to shoot us a postcard, you can send one to us in one of two ways. The first being by sending us an email at hyrulepod at gmail.com. The other is to drop us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is the best way to help new people find this show. And uh, if you drop us an email or drop us a five-star rating, we'll be sure to give it a read here on the show. 
Absolutely. Get creative. We like we want to hear weird things and we want to hear things that make us think about stuff that we didn't think about when we initially record these episodes. Legit. But on social, you can find us on Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter at HyrulePod. If you're looking to reach out to either of us individually on Twitter, you can find me at the edge of my beat. I am at a man named Babs, B-A-B-S. Next episode, we're heading out to the Lanayru Sand Sea. Another one I'm excited for. Until then, I have been Chris. I have been Pete? <laughs> What's happening? What was that? Excuse me, podcast. Am I cursed right now? I feel like I'm cursed. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to wander around my room for the next hour. Bye. Bye. <laughs>